0: Okay, let's open this morning with a word of prayer, if we could, please. Our Father, we come together this morning rejoicing uh, to be with the saints, to be able to fellowship with other believers, Lord, to enjoy the, the camaraderie and the common beliefs and <clears throat> just the joy to be with other people who love you, Lord. And this morning we thank you for the scriptures, for the writings of Daniel, the truth that he wrote, Lord, that prompts us to think rightly about our current world and history and all the characters that have risen and fallen. Lord, I pray that this morning you'll guide our minds and our hearts, that we would gain understanding, that we would. Uh, be able to see the scriptures come alive in uh, the ancient world, and Lord, how Daniel so rightly prophesied about what would happen. Lord, uh, show us the truth, and may our understanding inform us as to how we should live today. May we be more godly in our thinking and our actions because of it. To Christ be the praise. In his name we pray. Amen. So this is week number thirty one in our study of the Book of Daniel. It's been three weeks since we were together. So you probably have forgotten, but last time we finished uh, Daniel chapter eight, having walked through that uh, chapter in six weeks. took us about four and a half verses a week to cover all of that. And so um, we made it all the way through. and this chapter, on the face of it, and maybe even in the details, seems pretty easy to understand. You'll remember there was a a ram that came up that had two horns, uh, one horn longer and younger than the other horn. Uh, Speaking of the two kings of the Medo-Persian Empire, and then uh, a uh, a male goat came up with one conspicuous horn, a very large horn, and he... Shattered the horns of the ram, threw him to the ground, and trampled him. And so the goat takes the place of the ram. And then it goes on and it says that very soon thereafter, that single horn on the ram, um, on the goat, was broken. And out of that broken horn came four smaller horns. And then the scripture's quickly move and say that out of one of those four horns came a small horn that grew exceedingly large. And so this is a king that comes out of one of the four kingdoms that comes after the first kingdom. And then he the chapter goes on to give us details about what that small horn that grew exceedingly large does. And you remember, he goes into the beautiful land, which we uh, interpreted as Israel, and he causes some of the stars to fall and tramples them, which we again interpreted as Jewish people who were killed at the hands of this king. And then the horn magnified himself, literally to be God himself, and to be equal, the scripture says, with the... uh, commander of the host, and then he removes the regular sacrifices, and the place of the sanctuary is desecrated, torn down. So, this is the actions of this king, and then you remember that the angels have a discussion, and it's questioning, how long is this going to happen? And the answer is, going to happen for 2,300 Evenings and mornings, 2,300 literal days, units of time that correspond to days. And so with that, the vision of action comes to an end, but then comes the explanation as Daniel is still in the vision. And I don't think it could be any more explicit than verses 20 and 21 saying that the ram is Medo-Persia, just like that. I mean, it's not veiled in any way, and that the male goat is Greece, and that the large horn is the first king of Greece, which, of course, was Alexander the Great. And then it says that the four horns that come up after Alexander the Great's demise are four kings, for new kingdoms that will arise, and out of one of them, there will be a strong king. doesn't say which one, but that there would be uh, a strong king, and that he will do these actions of desecrating the temple, invading Jerusalem, killing many of the Jews, um, stopping the sacrifices in the temple, all of these actions that this king is going to do. And now it's very clear in my mind that this prophecy speaks of one who comes out of the kingdoms of Greece. I mean, that's what it says. It says that the, the male goat is Greece and that the four kings that come out of that are Grecian kings. And we know from history that when... Alexander the Great died in 323 BC. There were four kingdoms that were formed out of the Grecian kingdom. The strongest of those being Ptolemy in Egypt and the Seleucid in Syria. Those were the two strongest. And then you have two minor kingdoms up in Asia Minor and uh, in Greece itself. And so, but the, the main players in the world at that time were the Seleucid kings and the Ptolemy kings. Those were the two powers. And they they fight with one another. And so we want to look at some of those details this morning. So I think some things are just very clear in this chapter that Daniel is prophesying about something that comes out of the Greek kingdoms, not something that comes later, not something that came before, that's what the prophecy is about. Now, that does not mean that this prophecy does not foreshadow other things that will happen, but the prophecy itself is about what happens out of the Greek kingdom. So you stand back and you look at the Greek kingdoms and you see if there is a person who matches these actions that were done. And it says in the later part of the Greek kingdoms. So not immediately after the kingdom's form after Alexander, but later. Now, Alexander died in 323 BC. And if Daniel wrote this book somewhere around the middle of the... 6th century BC, so somewhere around 550 BC, then Alexander the Great comes more than 200 years later. And where I want to look this morning is another 175 years after that. So here's Daniel writing in the middle of the 6th century BC about something that I believe happened in the middle of the second century BC. So it's almost 400 years before this actually comes to take place. And you remember what the angel said to Daniel, that this is something that happens after many days into the future, a long time from now. And you would think 400 years is a pretty long time. I mean, think, I mean here we sit in 2022 now, And so you have to go back to 1622 would be 400 years ago. That was a a long time ago. And a lot of things have changed in those 400 years. So I I think it fits what the angel said to Daniel, that this doesn't happen for many days. It's into the future. And so this morning, the particular king, I've mentioned this a couple of times, that I want to look at is one known as Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes, who was a Seleucid king. He came out of the Seleucid empire. And he's Antiochus the fourth because there were three Antiochuses before him. And there were more than just, there were other kings in between those that weren't called Antiochus. Okay, his son is actually called Antiochus also. I guess they called him the fifth, but he wasn't so significant in history. Antiochus Epiphanes was very, very significant in history, and in particular in Jewish history. And so this morning I want to go extra biblical, because the scriptures give us just what we have here. And so I want to go to the book of 1 Maccabees, which is contained in the Apocrypha. Now, I meant to bring you my Apocrypha so you could see what it looks like. It's not very thick. It's written in really small letters. And I read most of 1 Maccabees this, this past week, not all of it, but most of it. And, um, you know, the Apocrypha and all those books that are contained therein, and specifically 1 and Second Maccabees, are not scripture. And if you read them, it's pretty apparent they're not scripture because they're more historical than anything, and occasionally they quote the scriptures, such as the Apocrypha will use the term um, when Antiochus is there of the abomination of desecration, which Daniel does not use to speak of this particular time. He speaks of it later but not of this particular time. but So it's very clear that the writer of the uh, first Maccabees had read Daniel and picked up that term and applied it to what Antiochus does. So there's those kind of things that you can see. And then um, the Apoc- uh, first and second Maccabees are supposed to, are exp- the greatest belief is that they were written by um, one out of the Hasmonean dynasty shortly before or at 100 BC. So, um, we'll see some dates today of when the Maccabees actually came prominent, which was about 60 years before that. But, so this is um, a Jewish man in the Hasmonean dynasty writing about what happened 50 or 60 years before him. And um, I I think that it's pretty safe to say that that's who wrote this. So he's a Jewish man, meaning that as you read Maccabees, it's written from the Jewish perspective, meaning there's gonna be some bias. All historical writers have bias. Um, When, you know, people look at Josephus and they say, you know, this has got to be right. Well, Josephus was a Jew, so he wrote with Jewish bias. At the same time that he was writing, Tacitus wrote under the auspices of the Roman emperor. So he slants things for Rome, and they both have their biases, and the writer of Maccabees has his bias toward the Jewish people. So you just have to know that and understand that as you read these things. All historians have a bias. I mean, go read the historic records of the last 100 years that were written in northern USA, and then read those that were written in southern USA, and they aren't quite exactly the same. Or read some things that were written about the Civil War by someone from the south and then someone from the north. They don't quite match because they have their biases. That's normal. You ought to expect that. And so somewhere probably in the middle is the truth. And so just recognize that if you go and read 1 Maccabees that it was written by a Jewish man and um, he writes about Antiochus and what he did and what the Maccabees did to resist him. So the, the book of First Maccabees starts with um, Alexander the Great, and there's seven. The initial seven verses of First Maccabees are devoted to Alexander the Great, and say exactly what you would expect them to do: that Alexander conquered most of the known world very quickly, and then he died, and then his kingdom was divided. Seven verses. That's done. And then the book fast forwards. Alexander died in 323. Antiochus Epiphanes came to power in 175 B.C. So he fast forwards from 323 B.C. to 175 because there's nothing in between Alexander and Antiochus Epiphanes. And by the way, uh, Epiphanes means God manifest. So that gives you a pretty good idea of what Antiochus thought about himself. Okay? Antiochus IV, God manifested. So he himself thinks he's God. So uh, that's a, a good place to begin. Antiochus also conquered many lands. And he had this grand illusion, this grand dream that he would unite all those people under one religion. And that religion was the worship of Zeus, who he worshipped. And his purpose in doing that was to unite all the people, discarding their old beliefs and their old religions, and all being united <coughs> as Worshippers of Zeus. Now that never happened in his kingdom, but that's what he desired. And that's what he was trying to do. gotta keep that in your mind as we look at what he does to the Jewish people. Because that's the backdrop, that's the goal, that's what he's after, is to unite these people with other people who are not Jewish into one common religion. And so he goes to extreme measures To do that. Now, I just want to make sure I get all this groundwork on, you know, there's a lot of foundation that you need to lay in order to be able, my purpose is to look at Antiochus Epiphanes, which we will not finish today. So if the Lord wills, we'll go and do that the next time. But look at Antiochus and the actions that he took. And then look at this king and Daniel and see the matches, and where it mates to one another, and come to a conclusion, is this who Daniel was writing about? And of course, I believe it is. I'll just tell you that up front, because there will be a lot of things that match. And we'll see those as we walk through the chapters of Maccabees. Now, we could go to other places. There are plenty, you can go to Encyclopedia Brit- Britannica if you want to, or any other encyclopedia uh, that's either online or in print, and they will have a section typically on Antiochus Epiphanes, because he's a very significant figure in the ancient world. And you could go read that, and they will say many of the things that we say, probably not in the detail that Maccabees wrote because again, it's written from a Jewish man. And now Maccabees does not, in all places, uh, the writer of Maccabees does not praise the Jews all the time. Matter of fact, he says there were many, many Jews who were unfaithful and who sided with Antiochus. So it's not all good and Antiochus is the only bad guy. There are a lot of bad Jews also. So going through this extra biblical um, understanding, I think, will inform us and will help us because, I mean, we're given the interpretation. So if there's something in history that matches the interpretation, then we ought to embrace that as the interpretation. Now, I don't demand that of you because there are many people who teach out of Daniel who disagree with what I say but I look read what they say and I go this just doesn't make any sense to me and they link chapter 7 to chapter 8 to chapter 9 and say it's all talking about the same thing and I'm just like how how can you say that because it explicitly says this king comes out of the Greek kingdoms I mean it's what it says so I don't know how they get around that but they do Sure. That's right. So isn't it fascinating to look at the the Islamic movement? It has one goal. Yeah. A unified religion under all Look at the Roman Catholic system. It has one goal, insatiable goal. Everything under the Pope. Constantine arguably started, and you see these reverberations of exactly what Aniachis had in his heart. That's right. i mean hitler had similar thoughts i mean it's not like this is new (laughs) you know it's not it's not original um and it's just the evil one and and that's why i say but if this prophecy has been fulfilled does not mean it doesn't foreshadow other things but this shows you how it's possible for these things to take place yeah i i think it does um you know, in living color, as we walk through this, you'll see it. Now, also, I just wanna say something. It's not wrong to read the Apocrypha, okay? It's not wrong. You're not anti-Christian if you read the Apocrypha. It's absolutely fine, but just always recognize it's not scripture. Read it like you would read any other book that you pick up off the shelf. That's what it is. It just happens to be a historical account of what happened to the Jewish nation. But it's not wrong to read it. Just don't take it as supreme to scripture. Scripture trumps the books of First and Second Maccabees. So it's not, but it's not wrong to read it. As a matter of fact, it's pretty interesting to read it. If you can read the little tiny print that I struggle with, but nevertheless, uh, so Um, I think I've said all of this, the Hasmonean dynasty does come out of the Maccabean family. And the reason it's called the Hasmonean dynasty and not the Maccabean dynasty is because they had an ancestor who was named Hasmoneus. And so that's the name that was taken for the dynasty. And the Hasmonean dynasty comes and rules Israel from about 140 BC to in the 30s BC. Okay, Jerusalem was captured by Rome in 63 BC, but that doesn't mean they captured the whole country. And so the Hasmonean dynasty continued on in some semblance until the 30s. And by that time, Rome was in total control of Palestine and the Hasmonean dynasty was gone. But there was a... The Hasmonean dynasty was pretty good at practicing the Jewish religion. I mean, there was a time... So for a hundred years or so, maybe less than that, a little less than that, you had the Hasmonean dynasty that was ruling Jerusalem and instilled the sacrifices and all of that, which is why when you come to the time of Christ... They're still offering the sacrifices. They're still worshiping in the temple. That all came out of the Hasmonean dynasty after Antiochus did what he did. And so that's the the way you get to the time of Christ and the sacrifices are still being done and the temple worship is still ongoing. And on goes until 70 AD when the temple in Jerusalem are leveled and Rome totally destroys it all. So, I mean, this is, the, the history makes sense and does flow together. Now, Antiochus went into Egypt and fought against Ptolemy and was pretty successful until Rome came out of Cyprus and stopped him at the request of, and we'll get into all of this, the Cleopatra's and the Mark Antony and all of that, That'll come later in chapter 10. But all of that history played into this. And that would have been the first Cleopatra that Rome came to rescue. So he's pushed out of Egypt and has to return home. And the year is like 171 BC. So he's only been in power four years He came into power in 175, he died in 164. So he's only in power 11 years. So after four years, on his way back home from Egypt to Syria, in between is Palestine. And so he invades Jerusalem. And the Maccabees describe it pretty well. You've got it there in the notes that I passed out this morning, where it says, 1 Maccabees, Chapter 1, verses 20 through 24. I want to read this, because this this describes it better than I could. The year is 171 BC. Okay, now, you'll see in here that Maccabees will say that um, the year, I'm looking for it here, uh, is 143rd year, so 143 years. So you're like, what is that? Well, the Maccabees count up, so they're going from a point in time, probably from when the Seleucid Empire was solidified, and count up. So as you go into into the later chapters, the numbers are increasing, whereas we count down, right? I mean, 171 B.C. comes before 164 B.C., and we count down, so the years don't match, okay? Just know that, that the Maccabees were picking a time, or the writer of Maccabees picked a time in the past and is counting up when he's writing this. This is 100 BC. He doesn't know Jesus Christ is coming. Well, he knows he's coming, he just doesn't know when he's coming. And so, he's writing counting up from some point in the past. And we could trace that and know exactly when that is because he gives us the years here. Just don't let that worry you too much. Okay, so 1 Maccabees 1, 29. And after two years, no, I want to read verse 20. And after that, Antiochus had smitten Egypt. He returned again in the 140 and third year and went up against Israel and Jerusalem with a great multitude and entered proudly into the sanctuary and took away the golden altar, the candlestick of light and the vessels thereof, and the table of showbread and the pouring vessels and the vials and the censers of gold and the veil and the crowns and the golden ornaments that were before the temple, all of which he pulled off. He also took the silver and the gold and the precious vessels also he took the hidden treasures which he found and when he had taken all away he went into his own land having made a great massacre and spoken very proudly okay so that's the first invasion by antiochus of jerusalem and he does kill many people he does um overturn the temple, clearly if he did what he just was said, you can no longer offer sacrifices. You don't have what you need to offer sacrifices. And he robbed the people and decimated them and then just left and goes back to his homeland. And Jerusalem is in shambles, but that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is yet to come. So the reason that kings conquer other people is so they can take tribute money and stuff their pockets with it. That's what it's all about, right? It's all about the money and the riches. And so two years later, Antiochus sends back to Israel, into Judea specifically, his chief collector, of the tribute money. And so he comes speaking nice words, and, you know, we're, we're just here to take the money. You know, we're not going to hurt anybody. Everything's going to be good. Just give us the money, and we'll leave. Well, he's lying. Because they give him all the money. This is, you remember, Antiochus. Now, this is Antiochus' right-hand man, but you remember it said, by trickery and deceit, While they're at ease, well, this is it. This is the trickery and deceit. While they're at ease, thinking everything's going to be fine if we just give him all the money we have, which is not much because he's already taken so much. Okay, so here is what happens now. Antiochus has already stopped the daily sacrifices and the worship because he's taken all the utensils and all that they need to do that. And so that's already been stopped for two years. And then he sends this character to come and collect the money. So 1 Maccabees 1, 29. And after, now I'm going to tell you, well, this one's not so bad. The next one's really bad. And after two years fully expired, the king sent his chief collector of tribute unto the cities of Judah, "...who came unto Jerusalem with a great multitude, and spake peaceable words unto them, but all was deceit. For when they had given him credence, he fell suddenly upon the city, and smote it very sore, and destroyed much people of Israel. And when he had taken the spoils of the city, he set it on fire, and pulled down the houses and walls thereof on every side." But the women and children took they captive and possessed the cattle. Then builded they the city of David with a great and strong wall and with mighty towers and made it a stronghold for them. And they put therein a sinful nation, wicked men, and fortified themselves therein. Now, you would think they would go back to the homeland. But if they did that, Antiochus would take all they had taken. So instead of doing that, they go to the city of David, Bethlehem, just a few miles away. And they fortify Bethlehem so nobody can get to them. And they live in the city. And I assume the cattle are probably outside the city. And that's where they stay. They don't go away. They're just down the road from Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is in shambles houses have been torn down, it's been burned, it's been looted, many people have been killed. And so by trickery, he takes all their money and then wipes them out. So pretty horrendous scene of what's going on in Jerusalem. Now here, clearly, they still can't do any worship, right, in the temple. I mean, they don't have what they need to do temple worship. So that has ceased. And continues to cease. Now we're two years into it. So it goes on. And it gets worse. You would think, how could it get worse? It gets worse. And I'll tell you that many of the Israelites at this point give up on God and join the Antiochus worship. And they, at the, well, you can, they uh, do things like they give up on their former beliefs, they build altars to Zeus, they follow very strange laws, things that are anti Jewish, they have chapels for these idols. literally build chapels for the idols, and they sacrifice swine's flesh. That's their main sacrifice is pigs. And there are no Sabbaths. They're forbidden. There's no temple worship. There are no burnt offerings. There are no drink offerings. There are no grain offerings. All of that is forbidden And so it ceased. Jewish worship has come to an end. This is Antiochus wanting to have one world religion stopping Jewish worship and many of the Jews joining him in the new worship of Zeus. It's horrendous. You're like, why would they do that? Because if they didn't do that, the next chapter tells you what happened, or the next Section here tells you what happened. Still in chapter 1 of First Maccabees. And I hesitate to read this, but I'm going to read it. Because it's horrendous. Here's some of the details. First Maccabees chapter 1, verse 54. Now the 15th day of the month of Kaslu, in the four, in the, 140 and fifth year, they set up the abomination of desolation. So he's borrowing that term from later in Daniel. And builded idol altars through the cities of Judah on every side, and burnt incense at their doors of their houses and in the streets. And when they had rent in pieces the books of the law, that's the scriptures, which they found, they burnt them with fire and wheresoever was found with any of the book of the Testament or if any consented to the law, the king's commandment was that they should be put to death. Now stop there. What that means is that if you're a Jew and you follow any Jewish law or any Jewish custom, that the penalty was to be put to death. So that's stopping worship. And there are many who consented to that, but some didn't. So keep reading. Thus they did by their authority until the Israelites every month, so as many as were found in the cities. Now the five and 20th day of the month, they did sacrifice upon the idol altar. So what did they sacrifice? which was upon the altar of God. So they built in the temple over the true altar, another altar on which they're gonna sacrifice. Now notice what they sacrifice. At which time, according to the commandment, they put to death certain women that had caused their children to be circumcised. And they hang their infants about their necks and rifled their houses and slew them that had circumcised them. Howbeit, many in Israel were fully resolved and confirmed in themselves not to eat any unclean thing. Wherefore, they chose to die that they might not be defiled with meats and they might not profane the holy covenant. So then they died, and there was very great wrath upon Israel. So every month, they would round up throughout the month the people who they found trying to be Jewish in their religion. And they would gather them all together and on the 25th of the month, they would sacrifice those people on the altar that was built above the altar of God. Now that's desecrating the altar. That's defiling the temple. And they did that month after month after month after month, sacrificing people who they found either with the law or practicing the law in any way or form. They would take those people and once a month sacrifice them and their children on the altar. That's horrendous. And this goes on as... The angel said to Daniel, the total expanse, 2,300 days. That's 6.3-something years. We're two years into it. So for four years, month after month, they sacrificed Jewish people on this altar. So this, Daniel simply writes in verse Chapter 8 and verse 24, he will destroy, talking about the king, mighty men and the holy people. This is how they're destroyed. They're slaughtered in the streets first, and then they go house by house. Sounds familiar, does it not? In our current environment, on the other side of the earth, they go house by house. And if they find true worship of the holy God... They sacrifice you on the altar in the temple. Horrendous. This is Antiochus. It's by, not Antiochus doing it, but it's by his command. He's the one that gave the order that if we find any Jewish practice, those people are to be killed. And they kill them by sacrificing them on the altar once a month. And this goes on and on and on. So, I mean, it's hard to think about. So, begin to see how Antiochus is the guy written about, comes out of the Jewish king, I mean, comes out of the Greek kingdoms, comes in the later part of the Greek kingdoms, rises to be a great king, invades Jerusalem, destroys the city and the people and then continues to desecrate the temple by sacrificing human beings over the altar built over the altar of God. It's unspeakable, really unthinkable. So that's where we'll leave off. And that's chapter 1 of 1 Maccabees. Chapter 2 starts with a faithful man and faithful children And this is where we're introduced to a guy named Judas Maccabeus. And not everybody in Israel is being killed or um, not doing Jewish practice. This is in Jerusalem. There's still a lot of land in Israel, in Palestine, to the north. And that's where we'll find them. They haven't gotten there yet. They will get there later. And that'll be chapter two of 1 Maccabees. So that's probably as far as we'll go because that'll be enough of the story for us to be able to then go back to the scriptures and see what the scriptures say versus what this historic record says. And you can read other people other than the writer of Maccabees and see some of these details but probably the best account that I've found is 1 Maccabees that gives us these details that are unthinkable. So we'll pick up there next week. Um, Just remember, it only lasts for 2,300 days and that the Hasmonean dynasty is coming with true worship. And so... Antiochus doesn't stay forever, and he dies a very sad, very lonely, very distraught man, and we'll see why next time when we talk about it. Thanks for your time.